On this episode, we discuss Glass. The Philip Glass story. Starring Hayden Christensen. It's hot in here, huh? Because he was in Shattered Glass. Not particularly. Okay. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh, hey, Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellingtown. Beep boop. Elliot Kalen here. I'm a robot. JK, JK. April Fools, everybody. I'm not a robot. I'm a flesh and blood meat puppet human, just like you. Now, Elliot, there's something different about you. You seem much uh, larger and not in a box yeah. today. Yeah, if it's frightening you that I am three-dimensional and can touch you, <laughs> oh, as well, I'm doing right I mean, now. It's, not, it's only mm. frightening in the sense that, you know, it makes me feel feelings. Okay, <laughs> removing my hand again. Uh, we're in one place. We're recording this in a hotel room in Portland, Oregon. Uh-huh. Not Portland, Washington, as some people who saw the website might have thought because the wrong city was listed for our live okay. show. Yep. But anyway, we're in Portland, Oregon. Tonight we'll be doing a live show, but before then, we're recording all three of us in one room together. And guys, it feels good to be with you again. Oh, wow. That's nice. Um, now, we are in a boutique hotel room. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes like, a boutique hotel? Boutique well, hotel. Uh, it generally is based on the difficulty of understanding the toilet fixtures. Or how to use the phone. Dan, in Dan's room, the phone is not so much a phone as it is a speaker box you're supposed to talk into. Yeah. <laughs> twice already, uh, I, it's it's like a, an iPad, basically, and twice already... The uh, phone has rung. It's the front desk. I push the button. They say, hello, hello. And I go, hello, hello. And they go, hello, hello. And then the phone call ends. Dan's classic hotel phone bit. Yeah. <laughs> Your regular Bob Newhart, Shelley Berman. <laughs> what I like about that bit is everyone can relate. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Everyone can relate. It's a universal problem, staying at an expensive boutique <laughs> hotel in Portland, and you can't get this futuristic handsetless phone to work. <laughs> We've all been there. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's the three seashells from Demolition Man. So, <laughs> I have, guys, I have written on our door in chalk, because we don't have signs in this hotel. We have chalkboard painted doors. Mm-hmm. I wrote, do not disturb. So, hopefully, we can continue this podcast uh, Undisturbed? Is that the yes. word you're looking for? <laughs> I almost <laughs> said something that felt weird to say. Like, what's the opposite of dis- what, turbed? Yeah. Hopefully uh, we'll be turbed and not disturbed. Yeah, that's, that, that's how I refer to the band Disturbed to my friends when I want to seem cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you get that new turbed disc. <laughs> disc. <laughs> uh, so, Dan, what do, we do, what do we do on this podcast other than complain about your boutique hotel accoutrement? Well, well, right now I'm watching my wife try to open the door as quietly as possible <laughs> and sneak out like a little yeah. mouse. <laughs> okay, well. That probably didn't get picked up on Mike, but she said, have fun, and boy, howdy, we will. Oh, we're, ta- we're just talking about glass. Yeah, Dan, what are we doing on this podcast, as I was oh, saying? okay, this is a movie. A movie? This is not a movie. This is okay, real life. Okay, start again. Okay, and Clapper, take two. <laughs> yeah, sure. This is a podcast? Yeah, use a clicker into the microphone. Well, I mean, real. Dan, if you, in a way, life's like a movie. You write your own ending. Mm-hmm. Keep believing. Keep on dreaming. Pretending. Pretending. We just did what we set out to do. Record a podcast. Good night, everybody. And rainbow comes in through the broken ceiling. Well, that and happens the before the song out. starts. 
And we see that there's not just the three Flophouse boys, but a whole cavalcade of Flophouses. Um, all of all our the characters, characters are there. Craw Daddy, Noir mm-hmm. Baby, Old Craw, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Tin Tin Lady. Uh, house Cat. House Cat. Oh, of course. Cat. Yeah, the House Cat. Uh, yeah, Pride Seven Place. Pounds, Rocket mm-hmm. Crocodile. Oh, they're mm-hmm. all there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Angus Grimm, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody's there. Sure. Uh, uh, huh? I'm trying to remember Fisher Stevens' name, and I couldn't remember it. Fisher, Fisher Stevens. Stevens. Mother yeah. movie back in theaters for its 40th anniversary this summer. Oh, is it? For, for a couple days, it's one of those special uh, events. I do want to see it. That's a, do that, you do you like the do you like that movie? The Mama movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not in character for me, but I do love it and cry at the end every time I see it. <laughs> yeah. So what do we do on this podcast, Dan? Sorry, That's we watch not a, a bad movie. movie, and then we talk about it. Do we, did we watch a bad movie today, guys? We'll let's, find let's, out. Let's, let's well, we didn't watch it today. I watched, I lived a bit, little bit of the Dan McCoy lifestyle and watched it on a plane. Ooh. Hey, Ellie, you know what? I got a taste of that piece as well. <laughs> wrap my lips around a little bit of glass in the sky. <laughs> Don't ever wrap your lips around glass. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little, little bit. In some ways, it's worse on if it's a little bit. On the ground, in the sky. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, in the water. <laughs> Sound Guy's class is... Which, by the way, this was in keeping with uh, how I watched the previous installment in this trilogy, which I'm sure you're going to explain. I watched the movie Split while on a New Jersey transit train. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good place to watch it, I think. Yeah. It gets across the griminess of the basement life of Split. <laughs> now, this is, of course, the third in an unexpected trilogy from M. Night Shyamalan. Uh-huh. Uh, we all remember... So when Split came out, story of James McAvoy as a guy with dissociative identity disorder... The guy. Who really loves to overact. <laughs> uh, yeah, who loves to... Uh, and Okay, well, we'll get to that. So James McAvoy is a guy with lots of personalities, and he kidnaps some girls. And at the very end, it's revealed this wasn't a standalone movie. It's a sequel to Unbreakable, like 12 years after uh-huh. the original movie. You should have known by the fact that it was set in... Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, so wait, are those all sequels to Rocky? <laughs> yes, and oh. signs. Some water-fearing water aliens are going to show up. Oh, no. I mean, that would be bad for... David Dunn of Unbreakable, because he's also afraid of water. Uh-huh. Maybe he is an alien. Oh, if only. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get My to it. My stepmother is an alien. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, is that why she wore that uh, that backless wedding dress? <laughs> yeah. Well, and while we're at <laughs> the it. The one thing I remember from that movie. <laughs> and while we're at it, the computer wore tennis shoes as well. So Wait, did your mom and dad save the world, though? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, that's pretty okay, good. Okay, I'm glad. I guess I'll stay tuned to the rest of this story. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. That was pretty good. What a run of movies that are not really worth watching. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> you watch the Chuck Jones section of Stay Tuned. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, stay t- of all those, Stay Tuned is the one to rush out and see. Yeah, like, yeah but avoid the Jeffrey Jones section. <laughs> I mean, most of, much of the movie is the villain yeah. of the film. So Split came out, and it was like, oh, this was a sequel to Unbreakable, and so it all comes together in glass. When we finally see all the characters in the MCU, that's right, the M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> Cinematic Universe. Yeah, that's how it's known. <laughs> come together in one movie. And so Split... I, you know, I at the time I heard a lot of things, people saying, "Oh, it's better than you think," and I thought it was fine. And yeah, James Mac, it too. felt like James McAvoy's SNL audition tape had run amok wow. and kidnapped some women. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and I like James McAvoy a lot. I think uh-huh. he's very good in a lot of no, things. No, I would say that. Um, well, I'll, I'll leave my final judgment for final judgment. But Unbreakable was a movie that, at the time, at least, I haven't seen it in a long time. At the time, I enjoyed. Quite a bit, actually. Uh-huh. See, I didn't and, like it at the time, and I think I might like it more now. Yeah, and Split, I was like, Split on, let's say. Wow. Oh, and Glass, you are 
glass half, we'll find out. <laughs> His love of Unbreakable was unbreakable. <laughs> but on Split, he was split. And Glass, yes. <laughs> so let's let's talk about what happens in this movie, okay? Uh, okay? And I'll try to... What's weird about this movie, it is over two hours long, and like there's not that much that happens in it. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Because <laughs> we got a full day. We got a live show later, guys. Yeah, I'm going to try to summarize it. So... Split, he's out and about kidnapping women, like he's uh-huh. his raison d'etre. And although that's a very uh, feasible name for him to have, he instead is referred to as the Horde, the Horde which, which is a crazy, well, I would say that's a strange name for the media to give him. Yes, so he's become famous now. He's called the Horde because there's a horde of personalities in there. The thing, for those who didn't see Split, James McAvoy's character, he was abused as a child and now is disassociative identity disorder. Uh-huh. All those identities... When they take over his body, they they refer to it as coming into the light. And many of them worship a final personality known as the Beast. And when he is the Beast, he has super strength and can climb up walls and uh-huh. walk on ceilings. Yeah. And he's got like a super like cool deep voice. His, he speaks in his, like weird His Beast voice stuff. is terrible. His, like, what are you talking about? It's it is, great. <laughs> it is exactly wrong. But. Uh, his doctor in Split like explained it. Like she theorized. She had a theory that. Uh, people with this diso- dissociative personality disorder. Let's call it DID because it's uh, hard to say dissociative. Yeah, they they could. One of their personalities could the, the the basically the act of their brain being taken over by this different personality could cause physical changes in them as well. Yeah. and the beast is the proof of that. He yeah. becomes his like bulletproof tr- and he jumps around on walls. And, and his stuff. vocal cords turn to that of Peter Steele from Typo Negative. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, so so the Horde, I'm going to keep calling him Split though because the Horde is a weird name and they should have uh-huh. called that movie Horde instead of Split. Uh-huh. Uh, and they should have called made a movie called Split about bowling. Yeah, I mean that's what Kingpin should have been called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would. I mean, it represent the the rift that opens up between uh, Randy Quaid's character and Woody Harrelson's character because they do split for a little while before coming back. Together. Or the split between Woody Harrelson's character and Bill Murray's character after because they're together in the very beginning. I mean, and it's, then they get, it's he betrays him. It's cycles. Or, it's like cycles of generational <laughs> violence that we we're talking about from the Grendel Tales comic book. <laughs> <Or, laughs> we were talking or about that earlier. The split between me and the movie when it makes that old. I milked the cow. That cow was a bull joke. Yeah. Or the split between me and the movie as a 14-year-old when I was like, there's not that much Vanessa Angel in this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, hold on. She's <laughs> like, uh, anyway, so the I had a big crush on Vanessa Angel when I was a teenager. Uh-huh. And I had a big crush on Bill Murray in that movie because he had a really crazy haircut. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Horde is out kidnapping girls. Uh Meanwhile, Unbreakable, or David Dunn as he's known, or the Overseer as oh. the, as the media calls him. The media Oof. in these movies do not know how to name superheroes and supervillains. Oof! They're, it's like the same media from what was that? The Cape, <laughs> where the bad guy's <laughs> name was Chess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I shall be a king of chess, a chess king. Uh, actually, it's not a great villain name. There's already a store. I'll just be Chess then. Okay. Mm-hmm. After my favorite not Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Not mm-hmm. making that mistake again, guys. Mm-hmm. I was called out on it. I was wrong about that. So David Dunn, he when people when when teens beat up a bystander for their video camera, he tracks them down and beats them up. That's the mm-hmm. kind of vigilante he is. He al- always does it in his trademark green poncho. Mm-hmm. And his son Joseph is now grown, and his son from the first movie, and played by the same actor, yeah. which is is great. And his son helps him kind of like. Tr- patrol because they're looking for the horse. Yeah, he's the uh, the guy in the chair. Is uh, Spider Man Homecoming says. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wait, what? You know, like how huh? Ned, Ned is like, there's always a guy in the chair. 
who helps the superhero or the hero and things like these. The oh, guy right. like, I forgot you know, about like, that a, like a microchip or uh, yeah, yeah, or the one Spider-Man has. You know, in the before comics, microchip betrays him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Sorry to spoil a Punisher plot point <laughs> from, from the comic books. From how many twenty years ago? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Somebody maybe have just gotten the Marvel Unlimited app and started to go back. <laughs> so I'm going to start from the beginning. They're like, who's this Punisher character? They're like, Mike Barron, make me laugh. And I'm like, well, <laughs> this stuff's not as funny as some of his other stuff. But so, anyway. Day, uh, Unbreakable, make a long story short. Unbreakable is going out on patrol during Or a the, long story, Stuart. A long story, <laughs> to tell a long story to Stuart. Unbreakable goes out on patrol. M. Night Shyamalan gets his cameo as a guy buying security technology from their mm. security store that he runs with his son. Who, by the way, he's playing the same character as he did in Unbreakable. Oh, like, you're right, because he's like a punk kid he's in like Unbreakable, a, he's, right? Yeah, he's like a goon with like not a goon but he like he's like sells drugs or something at the and in this scene he's yeah. like yeah i used to be uh, i used to run with a bad crowd yeah. but uh now I'm, I'm doing good i'm glad that that plot hole has been tied <laughs> up for me i'm like whatever happened to that guy <laughs> unbreakable is walking around the factory district where joseph has a hunch horde lives and he bumps into horde on the street and his power that i had forgotten about i knew he was super strong and super yeah. tough unbreakable if you will uh-huh. I had forgotten that if he touches someone, he gets a flash dead zone vision or something about them. So he bumps into him and gets a vision of this guy talking to the cheerleaders. He then proceeds to watch Horde walk away down the street while he talks to his son about, hmm, I saw a red clay floor. Look up factories with a red clay floor. And I'm like, the dude's right there. Like, just go get him. Right there. He watches him walk down the block and disappear. Yeah, and like like jump kick a wall. Yeah, because his his child personality. And at that point, I'd be like, that jump kick was not that badass. Take him down. (laughs) Well, it's his child personality whose name is, there's like, Kevin is the original personality. Patricia is the kind of priestess of the beast that's in there. And she's very Uh prim and proper. And then there's the kid personality who's nine years old eternally whose name is... This is going to haunt me I for my, the rest it's of like, my days. If somebody write in and tell us. It's like Theodosius or something like that. <laughs> okay. anyway, or wow. Heathcliff or something. I don't know. It's some it's some name that like a like a Park Slope parent gave to their kid. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it's an old-fashioned name they love, you know. Mm-hmm. You're, we're going to get uh, we're gonna get some sternly worded emails to you saying that they named their child that, and yeah. that it's a totally reasonable uh, my name. My son's name is Heathcliff Theodosius, <laughs> and it's a perfectly fine name. I named him after my favorite cartoon cat, Heathcliff, mm-hmm. and my favorite Thornton Wilder novel, Theodosius North. Oh, no, that's Theophilus North. Never mind. Forget it. <laughs> forget that reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, long story short, I'm break again. Unbreakable goes and frees the cheerleaders. The uh-huh. beast shows up and they fight. They're throwing tables around. The fight takes them outside in the rain. No, water weakens Unbreakable. Yeah, that's uh, his weakness. And then some bright lights show, strobe lights. They defuse the beast. They, mm-hmm. like, stun him a little bit. There's all these cops around, and this lady scientist, Sarah Paulson, mm-hmm. Dr. Ellie Staple, says, you're all coming with me to Raven Hill Memorial Psychiatric Hospital. Which is the first place in the movie where I was like, wait, what? What? <laughs> like, that's not how the criminal justice system works. Like, no. she has, like, these cops arrest him and be like, uh, you're all coming to the psych ward with me? It's like, don't, I think they have to be arrested and then evaluated. Well, there's kind and of... And then, like, as, maybe sentenced. As the Transformers might say, there's more than meets the there's eye. There's a reason, ultimately, to why this is happening. But at the time, it's just like, wait, that, uh-huh. why are they... <laughs> is it, maybe it's playing on the idea that, like, every time the police... 
arrest one of Batman's many rogues, mm-hmm. uh, they're always like, back to Arkham Asylum with you. Yeah, yeah but they escaped from Arkham. <laughs> That's true. true. They've already been sentenced there. All, I was just confused by the name Raven Hill Memorial Hospital, because it's like, who, who's it in memorium of? Like, what is the memorial yeah, part yeah. of it? And uh, the Ravens are a Baltimore sports team. Oh, classic <laughs> sports reference from Stuart. Sporty Stu, we call him. I just like football, man. As we all know, if we were the Spice Girls, you'd be Sporty Spice, I'd be Nerdy Spice, and Dan would be Sad Spice. You know, Sporty Spice. Old Spice. You could be Old Spice. I feel like, I feel like Sporty Spice is often uh, underestimated amongst the Spice Girls because one, she's got a really cool fake tooth, and she's got an amazing voice. She's great. I, mean, I thought you meant like underestimated because like if you got into a fight with her, obviously Sporty would be able yeah. to kick Everyone's your ass. Everyone's scared of Scary Spice, but we don't know that she's that in shape. But Sporty Spice, she's wearing exercise pants. She's yeah. either a mob wife or she's really into athletics. Uh-huh. Anywho, so Dr. Staple, she knows all their weaknesses, and she's equipped cells to control them. Unbreakable cell has hose sprinklers on it that get him wet if he's going to cause trouble, and there's this big bank of lights in split cell, and whenever they go off, he changes personality. And when she says weaknesses, she means perceived weaknesses, because she makes it very clear that she believes that they only believe that they are superpowered. Yeah. She says that they, she studies a delusion that people think that they are superheroes, and she has three days to treat them and convince them they are not actually superpowered individuals. They are just sick individuals. Which so is we another got ticking guess, clock, you know guys. What? Sick, is a, is sick is a judgmental and pejorative term. I would say she believes that they are under a delusion, as I was yeah. saying. Yes, but this is also this is the second thing where I'm like, wait, what? What, what judge is like, you got three days. You've got just three days. <laughs> to make these, to fix these people's weekend. brains. Like, well, you believe that they are under the spell of a very deeply ingrained delusion. And this man does have multiple personalities. We've seen that. Yeah. Three days should do it. I think three days of therapy should do it. And she also wastes those three days pretty badly. <laughs> and she gives them, like, one group therapy session through the whole time. I'm yeah. like, this should, you should be spending way more time with them. Yeah, she's just goofing around. I, I don't mean to jump ahead, but I just want to make sure that people know that this whole time we start hearing reports of the biggest city or the biggest... Uh, building in Philadelphia is being built. Mm-hmm. And uh, the opening is coming up soon. Yeah, people can't stop talking about it. That's all that's on the news. The biggest building in Philadelphia, the city of towers. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> and yeah, and I'm like, I can't wait for this giant building in Philadelphia <laughs> to figure into the plot. It's, I bet that's going to be really important later also on. Also, that I always thought that there was a law that you couldn't build higher than a certain height in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. Yep. Well, but, that, uh, that law was rescinded for Godot Towers. <laughs> Godot Towers. A very apt name, as we'll find out later. It's actually, it's like the, it's some, it's a Japanese name, because I think they're trying to make a kind of a reference off of, a, of a, what are the towers in Die Hard? The Nakatomi, Nakatomi. Towers. Nakatomi. It's yeah. like Fujiwara Towers. Or something uh-huh. like that. Uh, anyway, they're not the only guests of Raven Hill. Who, who's been there for years? That's uh, right. Oh, uh, who do you think? Who do you think? Uh, uh, the Riddler. No. Clock uh, King. No, think again. Uh, the Calendar Man. They're all in Arkham. Zaz. No, uh, Zaz is in Arkham, too. Uh, the, Killer the, Croc. the Gator one, yeah. yeah Killer, okay, the Killer It literally has Croc in his name, but, but you remember Zaz, but not Killer Croc? But, uh, no, I mean, like, I'm Zaz sure that's how he's like, greeted on the, on the street by people. Like, oh, you're the Gator you're one. You're the Gator one, right? <laughs> I saw uh, you on TV. Well, technically, I'm a crocodile man. Yeah, so get a picture. Can I get your autograph? The difference is I mean, that and Killer Croc was like a famous wrestler. He's like, I have a 
slightly less narrower snout. And I'm, I'm, I'm not native to North America as my. I'm, I can be all over the world. So alligators mm-hmm. are only found in North America. Yeah, yeah, yeah Gator Boy. <laughs> no, again, Gator Boy is someone else. Maybe a rapper. I don't know. Gator, Gator Boy yeah, was Gatorade. my father. That's you. <laughs> that's you, Gatorade. No, that's an energy drink. It's full of electrolytes. I see how you made the mistake. I'm a, not actually a solid. I'm a man walking around. I mean, not all of them solid. He's got like, some juice in there. Just because I look like a gator. I apologize. I'm a crocodile. Yeah, Leatherhead. That's a Ninja Turtles villain. Uh, he's a Cajun gator. Uh, so anyway, no. The third guest is Bum-Bum-Bum, Mr. Glass. What? Samuel L. Jackson's character from Unbreakable. The Lund- title of the movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who would have guessed that Mr. Glass, <laughs> whose name is in the title, would also appear here? He is catatonic he just sits in a wheelchair with his eye twitching and people make fun of him and taunt him in the or there's okay there's two attendants at this mental hospital mm-hmm. and they seem to work 12 hour shifts mm-hmm. they're the only guys on staff aside from yep. a handful of guards yep keeping and, the uh keeping payroll down and this is one of the times when you're like oh this is a lower budgeted movie than i would be led to believe considering bruce willis and samuel jackson are in it but we'll and find james out McAvoy, and james dude. mcavoy later we'll find out and it's a much lower budget movie than yep. we think it is uh but Mr. Glass's mom shows up. She talks to him about how he's evil, but she he needs to stay proud. But he's so out of it, he doesn't even know. And Unbreakable Son Joseph comes by. He says, my dad's just a, was just pranking. Look, he doesn't really think he's a super. He's a, just pranking. He, like, that was, that tactic is, like, that is on par with, like, D&D groups attempts at subterfuge that I've seen <laughs> where people just like come up with the craziest plan and then immediately give up with the plan. Yeah. Like when my dad was fighting the beast, he was just he was just a goof. Come on, he was just goofing. Uh, and she says, I think maybe you buy into his superhero delusion too. And he flashes back to, was it a scene in Unbreakable? I don't remember it. Where he yes, uh, he tells his dad he knows he's a, a superhero. It, it may have been in there or it may have been a deleted scene that they repurposed oh, okay. for use in this There's some flashbacks movie. back to Unbreakable and other things. I could not tell if they were, and, and other things, to, to Unbreakable and Split. There's not flashbacks <laughs> to like Terms of Endearment or anything. There's no, there's no flashbacks to Godzilla versus the Smog Monster in this, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not like trying to use uh, archive footage of Terrence Stamp for, to make him look younger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's no scenes from Lucky Cow or Poor Cow in this, yeah. I was going to say Lucky Cow, which is probably a very different movie. <laughs> a cow that wins the lottery. There's uh-huh. no, there's nothing in the rule book that says a cow can't win the yep. lottery. Well, cows can't own property. There's nothing in the Constitution that says cows can't own property. I, I guess you're right. I mean, but... I mean, I'm pretty sure cows can own businesses because the Skinny Cow brand of frozen treats is doing very well. Very, very well. <laughs> like, like in this uh, scenario that you've created, there's like one guy who like comes up and is like. Everybody, everybody, listen to me. If we're doing it that way, we would have to literally write a law about every feasible thing that could happen, which is impossible. And everyone else goes, stone him! Just get rid of him. Well, that's I was I was talking to somebody the other day about how you have to imagine after Airbud, after the Airbud fiasco, that you had these guys at the NBA being like, okay, what other animals could feasibly play basketball? Yeah, we got to yeah. include them all in the rule book. And then okay, someone's like, like mm, there's nothing that says Akitas can't play basketball. All right, we'll add them to the list. A narwhal on a, on a, in an aquarium on skates. He oh, cannot... boy. we got to okay, come up with very every... clearly <laughs> under subsection A-H. <laughs> we'll just say animals using wheels. We'll say nobody can use wheels. What about the Harlem Globetrotters? Okay, except for trick stunt basketball. <laughs> anyway, now Casey, the final girl from Split, she comes yeah. back to argue for Hort, the Hordes case. And she talks to Split and tries to talk some sense into him. And Dr. Staple is like, I need your help. It's going to take human affection to really bring him out of this. Will you help me? And Casey is like, bye-bye. I am a teenager. I should not be 
pressured into helping you treat uh-huh. this guy. Uh-huh. Well, she wants to see him first. Like, she she asks to see him, and oh, yeah, the doctor's like, no way, and then she's like, yeah, yeah, please. And then she gives in, <laughs> they let her see him. Uh, doc, Dr. Doctor, Paulson's uh, motivations during this, they seem, like, her, her methodology seems to switch yeah. on a dime. Again, yeah. again, there is there are reasons for this that come up later in the movie, but throughout most of the movie, you're like, wow, this is the worst doctor. I'm like, she oh. is so bad at what she's doing. Yeah, uh, so she wants to do brain surgery on glass, but he keeps getting out of his room at night somehow, despite being just all sedated in his wheelchair. We'll uh-huh. find out. They have that group therapy session I mentioned, and the doctor starts to, like, make make the horde and Unbreakable doubt themselves. Their powers, yeah. Yeah, and she brings back the memory of Unbreakable almost drowning as a kid. Mm-hmm. She's like, that's why you think you're weak around water. You're not really a superhero. You just have, uh, you have a delusion. Casey and Joseph, they both visit the same Casey comic store. Casey Jojo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joseph Joestar. Okay, <laughs> the sorry. second of the two Joestars. <laughs> Joseph Dunn I mean, and Casey, no last name, visit okay. the same comic store, and it inspires Joseph to research Split's parents. Here's the thing, okay, there's two scenes in this movie where uh-huh. people overhear stuff that's going on in a comic book store, and it somehow convinces them a, a rule about superheroes that is not a true rule. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's like, he's like, of co- or here he sees a comic book cover, and he's like, wait a minute. The parents of villains always know about them and hold something over them. And it's like, really? Like, I don't ever remember a scene in a comic book where a villain's parents come into the into Did the he story. pick that up in the section labeled heroes or the section labeled villains? In the villain section, which again okay. is a strange way to categorize your comic book store. For uh-huh. Most comic book stores, they seem to categorize their books either alphabetically or by company, by yeah. publisher, or there's an indie section and, a, and what you would call mainstream, which is laughable because yeah. again, main, the comic books are the only place that superheroes right. are mainstream aside from big budget movies. And the erotica back room that you can't walk <laughs> yeah. into. I mean, the complete works of Dave Sim are listed under villains, but I mean, I guess he's a creep, but it doesn't necessarily I mean, mean his work is. Service is not necessarily a villain, he, but I guess he's, yeah. I mean, depending, you know, he's a uh, Shades of Grey. Get it? Because he's a grey art He's categorized by, by heroes and villains because the the owner is a big fan of late period Beach Boys songs. So that's why. Oh. You know. I don't know the Beach Boys uh, that well, so I'm just going to take that, that for granted. Both of my co-hosts. Yeah, uh-huh. can you talk more about Grendel Tales? <laughs> so, a little bit of a more mainstream reference, like that comic book from Dark Horse. Yeah, can we talk a little bit more about uh, I don't know '90s Florida death metal, so I kind of understand it. Sure. <laughs> so, or I mean, I don't know why I'm reaching back to will... earlier in the show for Grendel Tales. Can you tell us more about Cerebus? <laughs> we'll say <laughs> a self-published 300 issue story about a barbarian aardvark. One of the things interesting things about this, though, them going to the the comic book store to sort of get a clue, if you will. Like, it just feel like yeah, I, like I learned all the important stuff. Computer from... game, we're like, oh, I don't know where we should go. Maybe if we walk to the comic book store, there'll be a clue there. I'll just click investigate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it, it it feels like a relic of like when M Night Shyamalan made Unbreakable, there weren't literally like like hundreds of superhero movies out there. Like it was kind of a newer thing to be like oh i'm gonna take something from the comics and i'm gonna do like a serious examination of like what it would be like to be a superhero like now that superheroes are the dominant entertainment in the world like he can't pull one over on us by being like i'm gonna tell you about superheroes i'm gonna tell you a rule about superheroes they're gonna go to the this exotic place called a comic book store and learn something it would be really funny if later on when mr glass is like spouting off rules about superheroes people are like yeah, dude, there's been a million movies since you've been incarcerated. Also, he has a bunch of rules that 
don't make that like I'm like have you read a comic book there's one point where his it, mom goes you said a limited edition always has a climactic battle with all the heroes and he goes this isn't a limited edition this is an origin story and I'm like limited edition what the hell are you like a limited series <laughs> like I've never heard limited edition applied to a type of story like I don't know what I literally don't know what you're saying yeah. but I've only been reading comic like, books for 30 years you're talking about like an, <laughs> like, al- like an alternate like cover like a diecast cover like, like I don't ever see you? it like is it yeah is this one of those like gold foil wildcats issues that was always on the back wall of my my hometown comic book store one flight up it used to be in Melbourne New Jersey uh-huh. uh, that like was always there because they couldn't sell it to anybody why like, wouldn't you buy it because I don't want any You don't like cats, the Wildcats? So. Were you more of a Wetworks guy or a Youngblood guy? I mean, to be fair, I was more of a The Max guy, if it's image oh, books you're wow. talking about. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're super cool, dude. Mm-hmm, real indie. <laughs> uh, so it's like he has his own understanding of comic books that doesn't square with mine. Again, I've only been reading comic books for, like I said, about three decades. And also in that scene, here's what was false to me about it. A girl walks into a comic book store, and the guy behind the counter is telling her all about the history of comics. What was not accurate about it was that she asked him a question, and then he politely answered it. Rather, what actually happens is she would walk in, buy her favorite books, and he would immediately start explaining to her what the books are and everything about them. And she'd be like, I know. I, I read them. I, I bought them. I know. I understand. Uh, well, let me just tell you who these characters are. The, I bought it already. I'm wearing a shirt with the character on it. Like, I know who it is. Yeah. Mm, uh, no, let me tell you about this. So that would in real life, she would not have asked that question. He would have just started spouting information at her. Okay, so... Let's just say, let's go to where we left off in the movie. There's an attendant at the hospital who hates Glass, mm-hmm. and Glass turns out, it turns out that Glass is faking being sedated. He escapes his room at night to research uh, Unbreakable online. Like, he's just looking up web <laughs> yeah, stories yeah, yeah. about the yeah. about the overseer. Google the weird thing is he, like, gets, yeah, a lot of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, like, mm-hmm. recaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, can, he can stream the song Unbreakable by Robin. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he goes to visit Horde, no, and he tells him... Look like such an idiot. Oh man! What a fake fan. Oh, no, Google, <laughs> you know, Google your... says, "Did you mean indestructible mm. about Robin?" And he thanks, accidentally thank, clicks yeah, on it. Thanks, Google, Google, for helping me out again. <laughs> no problem, Stu. <laughs> I'm sorry I make fun of the fact that your name sounds like something a baby would say. <laughs> it's okay. I get that a lot. Uh, so. Glass talks to Horde. He says, I have this theory that comic books are based on reality, on a real human ancestral memory. If the beast is real, he can break us out. But Split is like, I don't know. I doubt myself now. And Glass is like, I'm going to come back tomorrow, and I'm going to meet the beast, okay? Mm-hmm. Another ticking clock. <laughs> Mr. Glass gets taken in for his brain surgery, and he relives his memory of the carnival ride that broke his bones as a kid. Because oh, he has I remember that being disease. pretty effective in the movie Unbreakable. It is no, I mean that scene still like it's a terrifying scene because you know that he knows that he's very fragile and he set it up. He wants to ride that carnival ride and he has these two big stuffed animals to cushion his blow and they slip out from under his arms and he's just being slammed back and forth. It's it's terrifying. It's a terrifying. Yeah, scene. The, the like the shot of him looking down at his feet and seeing both of the stuffed animals there is yeah. great. Like it's yeah. it's chilling. Yeah, and as a parent. Especially like I can I can identify with the mom. Yeah, you, you understand better than I do. No, I no, no. <laughs> what I'm saying is when I was when I saw it originally, it was like, oh, what a scary situation to be in. But now, like, I get also it's doubly terrifying mm-hmm. because it is someone being hurt, and it's also a parent watching their child being hurt, and it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. and she's like, I spent so much of so many years protecting him, and I failed this one time. It's a it's a rich scene. Like, there's a lot going on in that yeah. scene. And also, your son is made of saltines too, so he's yeah, yeah. very fragile. He's a, he's a he's a villain called Mr. Cracker. <laughs> 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 and, and his bones are actually made of saltines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the thing is yeah. that any time a hero, and any. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Well, we're talking about obscure bands. <laughs> well, yeah, you got us. <laughs> I should have meant, I forgot to mention earlier, I think that Glass is super smart, mm-hmm. and but he has very brittle bones, and they called him Mr. Glass as a kid, and... He uh, and he is obsessed with the idea that he's going to create more superhumans like him. He mu- he can't be. It's not that he is has a disability. It's that he is a supervillain, and the way to justify that to himself is to create superheroes that he can. Yeah. He yes. Can and, but also, it's funny to me that like, it's one thing to have like this delusion that you're a supervillain if it is a delusion. It's another thing that later in the movie, spoiler alert, like he will be, you know, lumped in with these other two people as sort of like these superhumans, and I'm like. Wait a minute! <laughs> Suddenly, being really smart and having unbreak, uh, having really breakable bones is a superpower. Well, I mean, that's, you have to believe that he is so incredibly genius that yeah. it reaches a level level of superpower, which I like. Don't, yeah, I don't fully don't buy. buy. And the the events of the movie don't really support. No, Samuel Jackson. So he goes in for the surgery. They think they've changed his brain, but he kills one of the attendants and takes his key card. And we see he sabotaged the brain laser the night before. Mm-hmm. Which seems like... A thing they would notice? <laughs> they would have noticed that, There's right? There's a lot in this movie that you'd think the people at the <laughs> mental hospital would notice. And the only real explanation is that nobody works there except for these two yeah. guys. And do you think that they've never used that brain laser before? So they're like... Mm, I guess it worked. Seemed like there should be a part here with lenses, but I don't know. Maybe and also it that red doesn't seem to be that lasered. So <laughs> yeah, you'd think they would then like run a test to look at his brain and see how it came out. Like it, it I don't, I don't know how that bra- that laser is supposed to work because mm-hmm. like in real surgery with a laser, I think you have to like break. You have to go into the body. It's not yeah. like it's just heat that fries your brain through your skull, right? Like this is we're in uncharted territory. I mean, yes. I, you know what? I could be wrong. I've never used a surgical laser, uh-huh. but I would think that it would have to, in some way, penetrate your body to get to the insides, <laughs> yeah. the part that you're supposed to fix. Yeah. But it's instead they're like, hmm, well, there's no holes or anything. He's not, you know, he's yeah. not. I mean, doctors write in and tell me if I'm wrong. But yeah. if you did laser surgery on somebody, they would just look the same afterwards. I don't yeah. know. Uh, so he sabotages the brain laser. He frees the horde, and uh, the beast comes out and is crawling all over the walls. And Glass is and like, like, "We're loving it. We're like, loving this shit." He's like, "Beast, the whole world needs to know about you. You should fight the overseer at the tallest building in the city, and that'll mm-hmm. convince the world that you exist." And this well, tall I'm, building again. I'm, yeah. I'm itching to get there. <laughs> I'm gagging uh, for it. <laughs> and Glass tells the overseer. Hey, we're gonna attack the tallest building in in Philly unless you break out and stop them. So if you don't think you're super strong, I guess we're gonna kill a lot of people. So believe you're super strong, so you can break out of I your mean, room. At that point, like all the world's eyes are on this building because it's the biggest building in Philadelphia. Philly. <laughs> Philadelphia, in econ- America's most important city, <laughs> economic capital of the world, Philadelphia. <laughs> Wow, I was just making fun that their skyline's not that tall. <laughs> Dan's like, Philadelphia, a city no uh, everyone would miss if it was atom bombed. And I'm like, Dan, that's rough to say that sarcastically. Oh, a city where if a, if a killer virus got loose, we would just wall it up <laughs> and leave it to die. Dan, come on. The, uh, Your the, sandwiches aren't that good. Come for me, Philadelphia. Okay, I mean, let's agree on that. Your sandwiches are not that good. Uh, I mean, you wait, mean, you mean hoagies, right? Uh, sure. uh, guys, I'm going to have to get off this ride. <laughs> Not just because after this episode airs, we're going to start just getting images of gritty sent to us. <laughs> which, which is that one that they have that's not the cheesesteak? 
Philadelphia uh, cream cheese? No, the one's like it's got like broccoli rub and like. Pork oh yeah, and... I don't remember, but it's at the what Reading yeah, that one's, that Reading Terminal. The, that was the, pretty good. What's the one where it's just a pile of French fries on bread and that's the bread? That is that's the that is a different place, dude. Oh, okay. That is uh, that's Pittsburgh. Oh Pittsburgh! Oh, I'm so sorry. It's such a different place. Why wow. are you gonna be thinking of England when we got the chip buddy, which is buttered bread? And you know what? Chips. I might be thinking of a chip buddy. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> England, the Philadelphia of the east side of Europe. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so, gla- so anyway. <laughs> they used to say that the sun never set on Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, they kill the other attendant, and that now there's nobody but, like, a couple security guards and the doctor in the hospital. Dunn, uh, unbreakable overseer, whatever you want to call him, Bruce mm-hmm. Willis, he finally breaks down his metal door, mm-hmm. goes straight to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, th- to the properties room to get... <laughs> His poncho. Because yeah, he can't fight crime unless he's wearing that green poncho. So, so we we have just seen the beast kill an attendant in the most boring way possible by hugging him to death slowly. I mean, some would say that's the most betraying way possible because he's taken a sign of affection and turned it into danger. But it's, I don't know, I feel like if you're going to make this scary, it wasn't done that way. And then they also miss an opportunity when David Dunn knocks down the iron wall that he doesn't say, guess that door wasn't unbreakable. <laughs> That's do we? Good, yeah. Do we? Uh, this is not super important, but do we go past the point w- where Glass, one of Glass's schemes, hinged entirely on him knowing that one of his attendants liked to stand and gossip for a while? Oh, we did pass by that. So, so Glass goes into. <laughs> That's how we know he's super smart. Yeah, yeah he goes into Horde's room and he's like. How, well, uh, you're going to get caught. And he's like, I heard a car backfiring. That's the sound of the car that the attendant drives. So I know he showed up for a shift. And I've heard complaints that he takes forever to get to his desk. <laughs> he's a talker. Yeah. And he is like gossiping about vitamins with the security Which guard. Which is kind of a funny scene. But he's like, but, but, but Glass also, is banking so much. But also, this. this is a mental hospital. Yeah. The attendant on duty leaves when his shift is up, does not wait for his replacement to come and relieve yeah, him. That's not how it works. You gotta wait for the other guy to show up. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll just leave my keys right here on the desk for the other guy to pick up when he gets here. He's really late, but I got plans. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's. It, I, I gotta go look at this uh, biggest building in town that's it, under construction. Glass is like my brilliance. The biggest part of my brilliant plan was when I got assigned to the worst-run mental hospital yeah. in America, <laughs> the most slapdashly managed, criminally insane home in the United States. And clearly, based on this conversation, we know that the the security guard. Isn't doing any of the health regimen that is. He's uh, certainly not in shape to take on the horde. He's not no. eating the vitamins that he's not getting vitamin D, and that won't help him absorb the he's vitamins. He's not sleeping oh, and enough. By the not way, drinking enough water. While we're talking about this mental hospital, and this is also that, and the, the guy who's gossiping always about vitamins that he almost gives in to being seduced by Split at one point, mm-hmm. which is comes out of nowhere and goes nowhere. But this weird thing where he walks in and James McAvoy's lying on the floor with a kind of like Blanche Duval personality. Yeah. He's like, you're a real tall one, aren't you? Stand right there. And the, and, the, and the attendant is like, okay, let's see where this is going to go. It's like, what is going on in this scene? Hold yeah. on a second. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And we don't know what about- is, we, maybe he's created this rich inner life in which he's questioning some things. Okay, while we're talking possible. about this mental hospital, I just want to say, I mean, it'll come into play later, but... Glass has been here for like, I guess, like uh, over a decade now. I mean, yeah. how long has it been between <clears throat> movies? At the end of the movie, that makes no sense for reasons that will. Well, we'll get to that. In the meantime, they've got to get to that tallest building in, in yeah, Philadelphia because yeah. that opening is happening soon. They escape through the basements, and while the beast is beating up guards and killing them, Glass starts working on one of the computers down there. And Doc Staples notices they're, they're 
they've run, they're running free. Security alert. Lock down the place. The beast gets out, and he's overturning cars in the parking lot and fighting people. It's all being caught on these security cameras because they added more cameras mm -hmm. to catch Mr. Glass because he was leaving his room so much. Meanwhile, Kevin, the original personality, he starts rebelling. I mean, like, I don't want to hurt people, but, but the horde tamps him down. The overseer shows up, and they all converge on that classic climactic place for a superhero battle, the driveway. <laughs> so they're just grappling with each other outside a driveway, and the overseer and the beast are punching each other and choking each other a lot. Yep. Some SWAT cops show up, and they fight them, and the beast eats one of them. Like, yeah. uh, And uh, Joseph is there, and hey, Casey, man, the girl, shows gotta, up too. You gotta feed the beast. <laughs> you literally do have to feed the beast. I mean, but then it's a good thing they didn't name him the lizard because then he'd have yeah. to drain himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a point in this fight, too, where, like, David Dunn, the overseer, is, like, putting people inside a thing and, like, bending a bar to, like... It's like a, it's like a shipping container. To confine them. Yeah. But meanwhile, the beast is, like, murdering people over on the side. I'm just like, dude, stop bending that bar and, like, go over and stop that guy from getting killed. It takes him a while to bend that bar. They're already in the shipping container. Yeah. And he, all you have to do is slide the bar through it. Yes. Like, they're not going to be able to get out, I guess, to stop somebody else from getting them out, but they're going to have to be let out eventually, right? Yeah. Or did you intend them to die in there of starvation, slowly? Yeah, unless that shipping container was filled with, like, I don't know, uh, Utz potato chips or something. <laughs> Look, Raven Hill Memorial has to make sure it has a pretty big supply of I mean, it's Philly, so it'd be like Entenmann's or something. No, it would be. Entenmann's is a pretty New York product, too. Okay. You know, what would be, Philly listeners, write in, what is the snack food that you eat in Philly? <laughs> it's like, is it cheese fries? Like, what is yeah, it? Yeah, what do you buy at your fries? Wawa? Handicapped hot fries. Yeah, because, like, yeah, I think of Utz and Entenmann's as, like, New York area things. Yeah, maybe. I is, think they're primarily East Coast. Is but... it Streets Matzah? No, that's a New York thing, too. Yeah. Uh, Streets Matzah? I always thought it was Streets. But... I don't know. I guess because that's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, you're the from the streets, streets sure. Yeah. Matzah factory. So Joseph runs out and he's like, I've got, I did some Googling. I found some news. Split, your dad, he didn't just run off and leave you with your abusive mom. Oh, and also we've, at this point we've had flashbacks to how Kevin's father disappeared. That's Split's and, real name, and Kevin he, Wendell Crumb. Kevin Wendell Crumb, named after, of course, the famous superhero artist R. Crumb. <laughs> and and yeah. the famous superhero song, Mr. Wendell. Yeah. Uh, the, so Kevin Wendell Crumb, his father disappeared and left him with his abusive mother, and that's why he created these personalities as a de to defend himself. <clears throat> he says, your dad didn't just disappear. He was on the train that my dad was on, the train Mr. Glass derailed to turn my dad into unbreakable. Mr. Glass killed your dad, and Glass is like... Hey, look, it worked, right? I turned mm -hmm. you into a supervillain. Super and was it, like, he says, like, not yet or something? Like, so, like... Oh, yeah, because he wanted to reveal that... So, later. Yeah, it's important to Glass that this be known, but not necessarily like right then, but it's like, why, why is this part of your plan at all? <laughs> because I, I can see there it's because he's thinking of this in terms of a comic book story, mm. and like he wants that like that dramatic reveal, but yeah. it's supposed to happen after they attack the tallest building in Philadelphia, yeah. which is opening today. So anyway. Yeah, we'll, we'll, and we'll get there, guys. Yeah, Don't we'll get worry. there. At this point, the people there are like, it's taking a while for the superheroes to get yeah, here for man, this fight. Yeah, man, I mm -hmm. could really go for a good skyscraper fight right now. <laughs> yeah, well, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, so Beast gets mad. He Now, he so he's always looking for someone who has been purified through suffering. And he said earlier, Glass, you're pure because you've suffered. And Beast says, you're pure, but I can't allow you to hurt Kevin anymore. And he just starts punching Glass, shattering his bones uh -huh. until the overseer intervenes. The Beast throws him into a big water tank. That was the water that they were using to keep the overseer weak. Uh-oh, now they're fighting in the water tank. That's where he's weak, but he still breaks through the wall and of the tank. It's yep. very strange to be for water to be this guy's kryptonite because, like, 
unless I miss something, it doesn't necessarily seem to make him that much weaker. It, it just him affects him in the same way it would affect any of us who could not swim, which is he might drown. He chokes on it is yeah, it's a strange it's the same way that like uh, Martian Manhunter is vulnerable to fire and it's like, yeah, no shit, dude. So am I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like so's everybody. But yeah, to have water <laughs> My kryptonite is stabbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, there's a bit that the comedian Andre Dubouche used to do where he mm-hmm. it was a monologue with him as a superhero named I think Awesome Man <laughs> and he has a new a new assistant or secretary and he's going through all of his weaknesses and he's like falling from a great height shooting stabbing look, look if it if it can kill a regular person it can kill me <laughs> if, but uh, uh, I can't such survive funny... in the vacuum of space <laughs> that's my weakness it's such a funny monologue but anyway. They escape from the water, and but he's like, uh, 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 cough, cough, as we all would again after being submerged in water. Yeah. The beast is like, he sees the tower in the distance, and he goes, ah, to the tower, and starts running off. We're finally going to get that tower fight, boys, until Casey hugs him until he turns into Kevin again. Mm-hmm. So you see, he hu- he killed that attendant through hugging, and now Casey's hug has killed the beast. Yeah, I don't Whoa. think— I, don't I didn't think... realize that. I mm-hmm. didn't get that symbolism. Because the, one of the you. themes of glass is hugging. It's dangerous for glass, mm-hmm. and Unbreakable can't be hugged by water. Mm-hmm. And also, hug, spelled backwards, is guh, the sound you make when you're drowning. Yeah. I will say, um, and, I may, I may and have— an anagram of hug is ugh, the way I felt when I realized they're never getting to that damn tower. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have uh, missed it because, uh, I'll be honest, I spaced out a little earlier during this episode, but I don't know if we... What? I mean, Dan, it's one thing when you can't pay attention during the movie, but during the episode? <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I had to do some... He's looking at this mural of rocks and water that is on the uh, wall of our hotel. I mean, to be I... fair, looking at the timer, we have been recording for 47 minutes. <laughs> Far too long for a human attention span. I had span. to do some business for later in the show, but... Um, I don't know whether Were you we... pooping? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to do... <laughs> anyway, I don't know if we fully covered the fact or addressed the fact that Casey, who had been kidnapped by the Horde before, like, has gone beyond Stockholm Syndrome and now seems to be super into this guy. Well, she, she, was, let, she, she was set free by mm-hmm. Kevin, I uh-huh. think, at yes. the end of a split. So she know, she's like, I know there's a good personality in there. Well, yes, in the, but she was set free and also, like, I, if, I, I, if I recall correctly... That movie tried to suggest that her experiences led her to confront the the trauma yes, and abuse that she had suffered abuse. from her yes. family. Yeah, but it just this movie. I I get all that, but it does seem like this movie is playing up her sympathy towards this guy who did kidnap her, not and that kill personality, her and like and yes. a friend of hers. Yes. Yeah, just for the purposes of for the end of the movie, each of our main characters needs to have someone on the outside who's seen all this that likes them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a relationship that I do not feel particularly comfortable with. Yeah. No, it's a str- and I like I'm a big fan of movies that end with a climax of forgiveness mm-hmm. rather than like a lot of people take a dump on Spider-Man 3 and there's a lot of issues with it, but when he forgives Sandman, when Sandman's like I made a mistake, I didn't mean to hurt your uncle and like my life is now I'm a man made out of sand and my life stinks and Peter Parker is like it's a little much that they hug, but mm-hmm. that Peter Parker is uh-huh. like I forgive you yeah. is a powerful thing to me. So I like... And Sandman's like, you know, like I don't like sand. It gets in your butt. Imagine if your butt's made of sand. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and he's like, I already forgave you. I don't need to hear any more about it. He's like, hey, can you imagine those particles? They get everywhere. Everywhere. Because I am particles. I can't even... When I pee, sand comes out. And, and, and Toby McGuire's like, la, 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 la. I forgave you. I don't need to hear anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah Toby McGuire is already zoned out. And his head's already at that, uh, at that dance scene he was doing earlier in the movie. That was yeah. really great. He's thinking, remember when I was in the ice storm. It yeah. is. Yeah, that's probably what he's thinking. 
So I hope I get to ride a sea biscuit someday. <laughs> so I'm keyed to approve of movies where characters forgive rather than get revenge, but it does feel it feels unearned. Yeah, and it she, feels like a she, plot divide. Uh, yeah, I don't. Plot uh, on, the, on, on that, I don't recommend the movie Revenge, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, where oh, wait, a French a lot, woman murders a bunch of dudes. Is there a lot of forgiveness in that? Mm, not, not really. Oh, that, I was gonna go see that movie. I spit on your grave tonight. That's a, that's about a woman who confronts her attackers oh, and, and ultimately finds there, the strength to forgive them. There are right? many reasons why you shouldn't see that movie. Oh, okay, well, maybe never mind. Uh, what about Ms. Forty Five? Is, is that a forgiveness movie? <laughs> so. I, something I'll mention, this is a good, as good a place to mention as any because the character will be leaving us soon as the movie ends. But so in Split, I found James McAvoy's acting to be like showy but not convincing to me. And he was really working hard. But, uh-huh. and, but, I mean, it's a technical achievement. He like, he does shift on a dime in a way that's impressive. Well, but that's the thing. He like shifts, his shifts, like he made a big thing about the shifts. There's, a, there's one moment here where he turns back to Kevin and then turns to another character within moments yeah. and the shot is on his face the entire time and he doesn't do the like ah, 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 yeah. like grunting between shifts and i and he managed to control kind of the muscles of his face and his eyes so minutely in that moment i was like that's the best acting i've seen from him maybe yeah. ever was it that mu- and i wish it, i could pinpoint exactly when it happens yeah. but it's during the climax and i was like that was an amazing transformation in that moment yeah is it as good as the scene in the guest where dan stevens face goes from friendly to angry <laughs> and like while that kid is explaining his whole plan to him uh, probably not as good i just watched that recently it's that so, scene good. so good it's so awesome it's a very good scene but i would rather than compare it to somebody else when i'm trying to give a compliment to james mcavoy <laughs> no i just kind of want to talk about this thing that i'd I like, like to say that and when it comes we haven't finished the movie yet but in I'll just so when it comes to the acting in this movie, Samuel Jackson, I think, is really good in it. He yeah. he man he resists being too big with his performance. It's a much more to be weird in a weird way. Samuel Jackson is so much more subtle when he was playing the glass boned man who is a super villain <laughs> who creates superheroes by derailing trains than yeah. he is when he's playing just a dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like this is the most subtle. I mean, I haven't seen everything he does, but it, this is the most subtle performance I've seen for him from him since he did the voiceover for I Am Not Your Negro. And so I was like, okay. And James McAvoy, I feel like, has really got a handle on what he's doing here. And Bruce Willis, meanwhile, I think was under heavy sedation throughout the film. <laughs> I, think he, I mean, he forgot he was in the movie. <laughs> I mean, there are times when I forgot he was they, in the movie. They were pulling a, they were pulling a bow finger on him. <laughs> <laughs> so during that fight scene, he was like, James, why are, you, why are you hitting me? What's going on? Just get this poncho off me. I was just going out for a water run. So anyway... The beast turns back into Kevin because he realizes he's safe with with Casey's love, and that's when a sniper shoots him, uh-huh. and uh, and all, his blood starts bubbling out, and a, and then one of the SWAT guys just drowns, unbreakable in a puddle, and I was like, wait, uh, what? The, hero, the yeah. hero of the movie drowned in a puddle by a guy with a like a clover leaf tattoo on his and wrist, and it's one of those things where it's like I could see why the SWAT guy would snipe. The beast when he's mm-hmm. vulnerable because he's a monster, but that they just there's not even a, like you were saying uh, for a moment I was like there's not even going to be a pretense of like arresting him they're just yeah. going to drown him in a puddle. No, it's a genuinely shocking moment actually in the movie. You're yeah. like, wait a minute, that's our hero. He's just like a, uh, a policeman is holding him down in yeah. a puddle and, and killing him. And so it's horrifying. And Doc Staples reveals separately to the overseer then to Glass that she is the member. She is not a. She is. Was not hired by the state. Thank she, God. <laughs> she is revealed she's the member of a secret society that yeah. eliminates superhumans when they emerge because it's not fair to have gods among us. And she tells Glass, "You, as you die, you were right. Yet, like you are special." And Glass dies proud of himself. And, yeah. And she she reveals that to the overseer by letting him shake her hand, and he gets a glimpse of a restaurant full of Illuminati types. A yeah. surprisingly 
long wait to fight. like he gets a glimpse of this restaurant and it's just her eating dinner for yeah. 20 seconds they for a long time before she gets up and starts talking there they could have edited that clip a little yeah. bit the um yeah the <laughs> in her in the flashback it's also kind of weird i don't know if it's an intentional choice but it seems like the like symbol that these illuminati types use is a, is a four-leaf clover is a four-leaf clover which is I, I think I think a four or three leaf clover is a symbol for the Aryan Brotherhood in some circles. Oh, really? So that's kind of crazy. I didn't know that. I mean, I it, I just associate it with Ireland. So it's oh, like it's, also it's like, a weird. It's a the Lucky Charms logo is a weird I mean, thing to use. All your finest secret societies put a permanent mark on you, so you can be easily picked out. And now I don't know if this is the case, but I could have sworn that the glove that the SWAT team guy had had "Make Mine Marvel" written on it, but it may not have. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but anyway, this explains. Yeah, yeah. he was. Uh, it was the MCU's lawyers the, <laughs> yeah. the, that came and killed the overseer. He's the truest of believers. This sort of explains why Sarah Paulson is the world's worst psychologist. Yeah, because her job is really more to kill superheroes. <laughs> I mean, although it does turn out that she's she is trying to help in a way, but well, we'll she get to think, that. We'll get to that. So anyway, she erases all the footage of their superpowers, and we learn on the news that the building opening went great. Hey, remember the tallest building in Philadelphia? <laughs> it went off without a hitch because they never got there. That's right. We were Poochie Fireworks Factory on this one, guys. Surely in the end credits, we get to see that building opening. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that, that Dedicated have, to the dream of a new Philadelphia <laughs> skyline. I would have loved it if the end credits was just footage of people enjoying that building. <laughs> All the amenities. What a great atrium this place has. She go, then she's at a restaurant, and someone gets up and leaves the restaurant, and they're like, look around. And she gets up and starts talking to everybody there who's all Illuminati. And I was like, maybe don't have your meetings in public restaurants. Because yeah. yeah. it's like, uh, this meeting, I was supposed to give my report at like, Six, but there's one person over there who's not a member of the Illuminati, and they're sti- they're really they're really just lingering over the table. They paid their check. Why yeah. are they still sitting there? They're checking their phone now. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's a thing that's done for effects, like for the movie uh-huh. that you know, like a guy leaves and everyone falls silent and turns around, uh-huh. and you're like, oh, they're part of. But it's like. I've talked okay. about this before. It's that fear of being in a tavern, and you find out that everyone else in the tavern is a werewolf, <laughs> as featured in that uh, the Flophouse comic book I wrote that's available for a download, and all the money goes to charity. <laughs> I just wish that like the scene had continued, and other patrons who are not part of this organization came in, and she had to stop again, and they kept and, and stopping and starting. <laughs> Yeah, they come in and they're like, oh, is this a private function? And she's like, uh, n- no, 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 it's, uh, it's fine. Um, uh, I guess you can sit anywhere. And they're like, wait, do you work here? You seem like you're a patron. <laughs> it's also like, are all the waitstaff part of this organization? Or? I can only assume. They or have else a network they're of like... secret restaurants in every city in the world. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, <laughs> It'd be so yeah. much easier to just meet at someone's house. <laughs> yep. they, they dream of a utopia with no superheroes. We call it Flavor Town. Yeah. Also, is is it is this their restaurant or did they just make like a really big reservation? I don't yeah. think they made a reservation. I think they just all show up and some of them have. To, there's like if it's a if it's a, a really happening place, a lot of the Illuminati have to stand outside waiting yeah. for their name to be called. So she erased. She she announces they're they're all dead. And she'll move on to the next city. She would. Prefer, she says, as always, I'd prefer to convince them of their, that they're delusional so they can live. And after that, if that doesn't work, we use the machine. And I assume she means that laser. I don't know what machine she's talking about. Yeah. But this time it ended up with all yeah, them dead. She doesn't I'm assuming to... the machine is a cool super villain that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. But this is what I referred to before, which is where it doesn't make sense that 
for everyone else, she had like three days to do her to prove basically to the secret society, like, hey, my way works. I can prove I can make them think they're deluded, and we can release them back into the wild or whatever, uh -huh. and they can live their lives. But again, Mr. Glass has been there for like a decade. So what was the deal with him? Like he I mean, was he was I guess he was she was, but she didn't work in that. She travels okay. from city to city. So it's like because Mr. Glass at the end of the Unbreakable, it says in titles he was convicted and sentenced to a mental right. hospital. Okay, so like. I guess she's like, I'm a visiting doctor. I'm going to convince him, and then we can release him, and he can live his great life as a man who is not super smart, but instead just brittle out on the outside. Yeah, but also this kind of explains what there's. We didn't really talk about it, but there was a group therapy scene earlier in the movie, and when I was watching it at first, I'm like, this seems like the worst way to deal with people who have a shared delusion, like to like yeah. like let them reinforce one another this way, rather than like at least start out alone and then get into group or whatever. I wonder. That's a good point. I and, mean, she never has one-on-one -on -one <laughs> sessions with them, which is crazy. Even yeah. even group therapy, I would assume you need to reinforce it with like one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one maybe stuff. maybe the feeling is that if she goes after the biggest one in the group and makes them doubt themselves, oh. the others will doubt themselves. Oh. It's you know. Prison tactics. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she before she leaves town, she goes to the comic store to pick up some back issues. I guess she's trying to finish out her run of Nexus, yeah, like she, I always am. She, she, need, she needs to get some floppies. She's like, I just need it. I'm missing a couple issues yeah. of John Byrne's oh, She-Hulk run. Fables went off the rails. <laughs> and she overhears some nerds who are talking about how this one nerd is like, there's the villain's always got a bigger plan. He's always got a bigger master plan, and they just think they've stopped him, but he's got a bigger plan. And she's like, uh-oh. And she's like, uh-oh. He never wanted to get to that skyscraper. <laughs> <laughs> Much like the movie itself. And she realizes that Glass outsmarted her. He made he led her to introduce lots of video cameras all over the hospital. And then We have flashbacks to them, the video cameras being installed, which is something that we saw earlier in the movie. Yeah. And also, <laughs> even if we hadn't seen it earlier, we don't need. Yeah, we don't yeah. need to see it. It doesn't. I don't need like, confirmation. Yeah. Uh, and he, we, we saw him hacking on a computer in the basement. She's like, that's why he tried to escape through the basement, not the side. He set up a website that he was live streaming all the footage to, and then he sends links to that site to Joseph Casey and Mrs. Glass, uh -huh. and. They the three buddies. The three buddies. They're now the three Glassketeers, <laughs> mm -hmm. and they go and they post it online and then go sit at a train station <laughs> so that they can watch it go viral by having people's phones light up. This is the most baffling fucking <laughs> thing. They're like, they meet together in public, and they're like, did it happen yet? I don't know. I don't know. I don't see it happening. I mean, I gotta say. I can't say, see my video going viral. <laughs> I've definitely hung out in that train station before and never seen anything that exciting happen. And everyone's phones are going, it's also the thing that Things do go viral very fast in real life. But in the movies, if something goes viral, every single person mm -hmm. in a room suddenly gets it on their phone at the same time. Yeah. And speaking as, maybe it's because I am an approaching middle-aged man who uh -huh. has a family. Yep. When I find about viral things, it's usually like after they've been around for a week and they've already <laughs> yeah. been memed up. And yep. I overhear my coworkers talking about them and I'm like, what's that? And they're like, oh, here's this thing a kid said in a video three weeks ago. Uh -huh. Yeah, and also the weird thing about this end of the movie, too, is that the news immediately is like, credulously reporting on it like oh by the way superheroes exist where i believe that if i saw a video online of people doing superhuman strength i'd be like oh those are pretty good special effects that uh, i wonder what uh, what amateurs sf whiz did this uh, dan i'll remind you they did have video of a man not quite overturning a car but like turning on its side and then of two guys punching each other mm -hmm. what better proof is there that superheroes <laughs> exist than two men grappling on in a in a parking lot and mm -hmm. sarah paulson i forgot to mention she has my favorite line in the whole movie she's telling the staff at the mental hospital she says for the for the privacy of the victims 
let's please not spread this information. We'll just say that they died here. Never tell anyone what happened at this building and this parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it just reinforces how small this movie is. That she calls out that the climax happened in a parking lot. It, it feels like it feels like uh, our filmmaker is is trolling the like ever ever increasing spectacle of superhero movies by setting it in the most mundane setting possible. I don't want the memory of our beloved parking lot sullied. The place where we hang out and smoke and we set off fireworks that one time. The place where the one guy who works here parks his car. Yeah. So it's no longer it's not going to be the David Overseer Dunn Memorial parking lot. But it's I mean here so he, M Night Shyamalan is working with a much smaller budget clearly than like the Marvel movies have, and I think he's partly trying to make a virtue out of that by having a very small scale superhero movie mm-hmm. but maybe we should have some judgment of finality on this in some way dan what would that be like uh yeah let's do final judgments where we judge whether it's a good bad movie a bad bad movie or a movie kind of like uh, i'm gonna say this is the rare occasion when we've watched one of these movies i, I think actually the only occasion where i've actually seen the movie and then i was like you know what this is too rich a movie to pass up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny Elliot and Stu the yeah, joy of talking you. about Glass on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Sure, we can do it. Glass on the cast. Because mm-hmm. I saw cast it in the theater. I saw it in the theater, and I would say, for me, and I, how was the crowd's reaction? Oh, Were boy, they loving it? Loving it. Let me tell you, I have never seen a crowd react, or very rarely, the way I did when the Unbreakable trailer came out. Uh-huh. I don't remember what movie I was seeing it before. But the Unbreakable trailer started playing, and the minute Samuel Jackson appeared on screen with his Mr. Glass haircut, <laughs> the entire audience erupted in laughter. <laughs> there, it was like that you you hear Samuel Jackson in voiceover, I think, in the trailer, and then you see him finally, and his hair looks crazy. Yeah. And everyone in the audience was just like, la- it, was, it was so fun. It was really funny. So I'm going to say, I was very entertained when I watched it in the theater. I'm not going to go so far as to say I kind of liked it, I don't think, because, like... I don't know. I feel like it has too many problems for that. But I I'll, I guess I'll go good bad movie cuz I I found it very fun to watch. It's really dumb uh-huh. and just gets dumber, but I'll give it a I'll give it a sort of positive in that way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I'd probably say I mean, I I unfortunately think this probably falls into bad bad. Like I think there's some stuff that I like in it. Um I don't know. It's these are categories are not these are not good categories. Uh, I'm with Stuart on this one. But like, there's like there's stuff in there that I like. I feel like, I mean, I haven't seen Unbreakable in a long time, but I remember that there was there was stuff in it that I re- that I enjoyed quite a bit, and I liked the way that he used the like kind of a fixed camera perspective to like raise tension. Um, and there were a lot of scenes where like you know uh, two characters are talking or one character is talking to another person and getting information and you're just watching that person's face like absorb the information and you get a little bit of that here but it like it just didn't feel like the same level of like artistry I guess but maybe I mean maybe I'm just speaking out of my ass like usual I mean I it's a movie that I feel similar it's like there's some good bones in this movie brittle glass bones yes and they yeah. don't they can't totally hold up to what he's trying to do it like there, I feel like there is a very good version of this movie, and he has not really done it here, but partly because, like, I think he's building, he's trying to build a solid house on a foundation of sand. Like, Split was not a movie I liked that much, and the Beast character is not really complex enough yeah. to do a lot of this. Unbreakable, I haven't seen it since it came out, but it's a movie I remember having issues with at the time, but I know a lot of people who like it since then, so maybe I should see it again, but, like, that 
the David Dunn character has a lot of issues. Like the Mister, like Glass is the strongest character, yeah. And it's partly just because he's a motivated character, yeah. And Overseer, I don't know why he does anything he does. Bruce Willis brings nothing to this performance, and James McAvoy's character is so much about trying just showing us these different personalities. Hedwig, that's the name of the kid personality. Thank you. Hedwig. Oh, I remember wow. because I was like, Hedwig's a weird name for a nine-year-old boy character, especially mm. in the world where Hedwig and the Angry Inch exists. Like, yeah. I feel like the name Hedwig is taken. Mm. I can never see another character without yeah. thinking about Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which I love. Certainly in pop culture. The it is weird. It's it's a strange choice for him to not only return to this this world that he's created, but also insist on having characters spout like rules for superhero stuff when superhero stuff has become so prevalent in pop culture that like everyone knows the rules already it, it, it feels like it's it, it the movie exists in a different world than ours where not only are superheroes real but superhero movies do not exist yeah, yeah. and the and so it's like i wish i like i liked certain things about it but i wish it was a much better movie than it was and i don't know exactly how that fits into the categories but uh, uh there's one other thing i was gonna say but i forgot what it was i don't know Buddy. Oh, wait, I'll say this, that I do appreciate the idea of like a smaller scale, lower budget superhero type movie. Mm-hmm. And there was part of me, once I got over the disappointment of like, wait, okay, so they're not going to get to that building. I started to admire the guts of presenting the villain's evil plan and describing what the climax of the movie is going to be and then not having it uh-huh. and instead just staying in this kind of bland parking lot not nice what nice wide shots of the beast running on all fours like an animal yeah yeah across like a small parking lot uh, a, 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 a small grassy quad <laughs> yeah judge john hodgman ruled in my favor judge john hodgman ruled in my friend's favor judge john hodgman ruled in my favor i'm judge john hodgman You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases, I ask them questions, they're good ones, and then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling, my dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a flobie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. Well, Alexis, we got big news. Uh Uh-oh. Season one, done. It's over. Season two, coming at you hot. Three years after. (laughs) Three and a half. Season one. Technically almost four years. All right. And now, listen, here at Can I Pet Your Dog, the Smash It podcast, our seasons run for three and a half years. (laughs) And then at season two, we come at you with new hot co-hosts. Named you. Hi, I'm Alexis. <laughs> uh, field trip. Dog tech. Yeah. Dog news. Dog news. Celebrity guests. Oh, big shots. Will not let them talk about their resume. Nope. Only yeah, the dogs. Only the dogs. I mean, if ever you were going to get into Can I Pet Your Dog. Now's the time. Get in here every Tuesday at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Flophouserinos. That's what I'd call you if I was Mark Marin. So we... Recorded this episode in a hotel room, as we say in the episode, so I do not need to reiterate it, but that means that we did it a bit ahead of time, and that means that I'm reading the ads separately for your enjoyment. 
Yay. Guys, the Flophouse is brought to you in part by Arm & Hammer Cloud Control Cat Litter. Look, when I get litter, I'm bedeviled by clouds. So many clouds. So it's good to have some cloud control. You know what I love? My cat. My cat, Archie, is so adorable. You know, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but every day when I get back from work, he goes and he jumps up on the console table by the door and he puts his little paws on my shoulders and he rams his head into my head as if to say, hello, it's feeding time. Also, I love you. But it's harder to love cleaning up after Archie. I don't know if you've heard about this, but he leaves his poop and pee in a box. But, uh, you know, this is why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. No cloud of nasties here. It's 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes. I do not like scented cat litter, so I appreciate that. And it helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Hey, you know what I like along with my cat? I like I like sleeping. I uh, actually just got up from a nap, which is the best way to get that patented Dan McCoy solo ad read energy to do it directly when I after a nap when I'm at my bleariest. But if you want to nap your best, why not get a Casper mattress? Five years ago, Casper revolutionized the mattress industry by making it easier than ever to buy a premium foam mattress. Today, they're building on that legacy with a new line of mattresses that combine the best of both worlds. Introducing the Hybrid Collection by Casper. Their acclaimed foam layers now available with springs. This is not a gas electric hybrid mattress. You cannot use this to... Um, to get anywhere, unless it is, I don't know, enchanted magic carpet style by some sort of a, a, a genie. But the Flophouse is brought to you in part by Casper. Look, I... <coughs> pardon me. Look, I love my Casper mattress. How about that for a pro? I took a drink right in the middle of the ad. I love my Casper mattress. I've had it for... Four and a half years now, it still is a wonderful thing to sleep on. And this new Casper innovation offers the best of both worlds, luxurious comfort, and resilient support. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. And you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash Flophouse, and using Flophouse at checkout. That's casper.com slash Flophouse, and using Flophouse at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. I apologize, guys, for the little, uh, little fumbling in the middle of that last bit of that ad. You know, I was, uh, I was in Portland recently, as again we mentioned on the podcast, no need to reiterate, and I was flying back, and I watched uh, some John Mulaney stand-up on my phone, they have a few Netflix specials. This is not an ad, by the way. And uh, he talks about how, as he's grown older, he's just started speaking through burps and how gross that is. And you know what? I, uh, I really related. He's a funny guy. So this next, this is a Jumbotron. And uh, 
It's about something. Hold on. The part of the Jumbotron that told me what the Jumbotron was about has been mysteriously cut off. So let me vamp a little bit as I look through my info machine, which is what I call my phone. It's very confusing for people that I call it an info machine. They do not like it. They're like, Dan, are you a time traveler from the Victorian period? Why have you decided on this weird nomenclature? And I say, shut up, you. Which is, kind of, you know, a rude thing for me to do. Like, why would I, why would I bother to, to just attack someone on the, uh, on the street who, oh boy, I'm really dying out here. Okay, this next Jumbotron is from... Sweating the Small Stuff. It's a podcast. A revealing show steeped in pop culture, mostly movies and shows. Every week, host Cameron Booza Jomerhi. Booza Jomerhi. It's phonetically spelled, but not phonetically spelled enough for my mouth. Every week, that host, Cameron, and his gaggle of co-hosts take a topic you love investigate its most overlooked details, and explore the fun and fascinating ways those details impact the big picture. Things like, should Ant-Man be legally blind when he's tiny? What secrets are hiding in the Futurama intro? And do universal translators actually make sense? Find Sweating the Small Stuff on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, this sounds interesting to me. You know, talking about Ant-Man, this brings up a problem that I've had with Ant-Man. So when he's small, he's as strong as he is as a normal human, which is because of some bullshit about even though his molecules are compressed or whatever, he still has the normal powers that he would as a full-sized Paul Rudd. Great, I'm willing to accept that. But then suddenly, when he's big... He's strong enough to be thrown around airplanes. Now, how does that work, guys? Are we to believe that there's something in the very act of being bigger that makes one stronger when it's just a case of, like, blasting those those molecules up or whatever it is? If anything, I feel like he should be weaker because his molecules are suddenly further apart and he should snap like a twig. So, uh... I guess, you know, call me the ghost of Stanley. Anyway, the next Jumbotron is from Ultraviolet Dawn. Suffering from superhero fatigue? No, obviously not. After that Ant-Man thing. Good. Like books? Good. How about a superhero novel? Born to supervillain parents but raised by her aunt in the shadow of her superhero cousin, teenage Sabrina Kang wants nothing more than to be a superhero. If only her powers would finally kick in. But when tragedy strikes the superhero world, she must rally a new generation of heroes to defend the world from a new threat. Action. Humor. Robots. Fruit pies. Ultraviolet Dawn. By Brett Schrute has it all. Shop for Ultraviolet Dawn on Amazon.com, available in ebook, print, and through Kindle Unlimited. I am glad that this gentleman's book is keeping up the link between superheroes and fruit pies. 
Anyone who enjoyed those old Hostess Fruit Pies ads in comic books knows what I'm talking about. So that's it, I believe. I'll stop rambling on. Sorry this one went on a little long, but I'm not cutting it because for some reason some of you like how weird I get. Anyway, back to the show. I'd like to take a moment to remind everybody that we have some live shows coming up. Uh, now, again, we're, we'll be June 8th in Portland. That's right now. It's too late, folks. If you're listening to this, <laughs> then you missed the show. But <laughs> By two weeks. But you've got another chance. Uh, July 13th, one day before my brother's birthday and Bastille, one day before Bastille Day. July oh, Bastille Day. Yeah, July 13th, we'll be in Minneapolis at the Parkway. That should be a lot of fun. September 28th, we're doing a show in Boston. Our 7 o'clock show is already sold out at WBUR City Space, but there is a 945 show, that's right, late night, at the same location. So who knows how blue we'll get on that one. It means the 7 o'clock show has to end by a certain time, but the 945 show, we could go all night if we want to. Oh, wow. And October 12th. If you take enough pills, sometimes you can do that. uh, Yeah. Aspirin? Aspirin, yes. Okay. October 12th, we're going to be in Los Angeles, my hometown, at the Regent Theater. So again, July 13th in Minneapolis. And I'll... uh... I'll, so try temp- to, I'll try to make it to that one. That would be great. I mean, Stuart, if you could like wear like a mattress around you so you're always padded and you never hurt your back or fall down or anything. <laughs> the thing is, they call me Mr. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> Only in L.A. So uh, July 13th in Minneapolis, September 28th in Boston, October 12th in Los Angeles. We hope we'll see you out there. Movies, TBD. That's right, to be Danified. Quick things about those shows. The Minneapolis show is... Close to selling out, so if you're thinking you want to go, get on that Do now. not wait for the day of. And uh, the first Boston show, as, as Elliot said, is sold out. This is maybe a little more of a peek behind the curtain than necessary, but I talked to our agent. They're holding a lot of comp tickets for us. Some of those may be released, so if you can't go to the later show, maybe check in closer to the date, and there might actually be some that come back I on was sale. holding a bunch for the ghosts of Founding Fathers. Okay. And Los Angeles is probably going to be a lot of big Hollywood stars there. Oh, mm-hmm. cool. Like Orlando Bloom? Uh, yeah, almost definitely. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I wonder what I would talk to Legolas about. They're all going to be there. Orlando Bloom, Orlando Jones, Orlando the Book. <laughs> oh, wow. They're all going to be there. <laughs> Tilda Swinton as the character Orlando? <laughs> yep. Oh, I Lando would, uh, Calrissian, uh, oh, or as cry. some people say, Han or Lando, if mm-hmm. you're trying to decide which character you like best. <laughs> okay. Guys, has this ever happened to you? Yeah. You want to send somebody a text about Lobot, and your phone keeps changing it to lobotomy, so you can't send the text because it uh-huh. won't put the word Lobot in. Yeah, I can't tell. I can't tell you about the number of times I put the words Sirathon goal or Kirathon goal into my phone, and it would correct it to some stupid bullshit. And I'm like, <laughs> smartphone? I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway, moving on to letters. I uh, because we were doing this in a hotel. In Portland, I forgot to pick out letters and send them to you ahead of time. I mean, that makes perfect sense. How would you know we were doing this in Portland? <laughs> like, there's a lot. <laughs> you said because we're doing this in a hotel in Portland, I forgot days ago when I was at home to I, do this. A lot of my plate, just making sure that the live show ran smooth. But that the good news about that means that right now, a letter came in that is pertinent in a way to this episode. Cease and desist. <laughs> Signed, M.N. Shyamalan, <laughs> this letter, founder of the MCU. This letter is from Greg, last name withheld. Mm-hmm. And Greg writes, I recently rewatched M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Despite remembering it actually, it being somewhat of a critical flop, I actually really enjoyed it despite there being a few shots and effects that did not age well. 
I have one problem with it, which will lead me to my question. Okay. And it's that the final act in the in the final act of the movie, I really don't like how they reveal information. For example, before Ivy goes into the forest, it's revealed to her that the monsters aren't real. But then the film expects us to be scared on her journey. They do the same thing by revealing to us that the film's actually set in present day, but we're given this information before Ivy jumps the wall, which makes it a much less interesting reveal. Mm. I really feel like this would be close to perfect if the order of the scenes towards the end was just rearranged a little bit. Close to perfect seems a I, bit I much. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> There is only one perfect movie. It's Gr- called Alien. Greg asks, are there other movies you can think of that you would otherwise really enjoy if the scenes were rearranged? And I'm sorry to spring a difficult question on you. I did not give you these in advance, as I said, but I, well, certainly not RoboCop because that movie's perfect. I mean, and not a. I mean, Citizen Kane. I guess you could reorder it in chronological order, but why would you do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't a movie, but uh, there's the famous Stephen Sondheim not success at the time, "Merrily We Roll Along," mm-hmm. and it's told in reverse order. And I actually think if it was told in regular order, it would be a stronger show. Yeah, I saw that recently, and the. Uh, spoiler alert for Merrily We Roll Along. The, the last song, like, the movie, the musical begins with the three friends estranged and having sold out their dreams or otherwise sort of become dissolute or, like, having problems. And the movie, and the sorry, the musical again, ends with the first scene, chronologically, of them all on a roof singing, like... What to me is kind of one of the more hackneyed, like, we're all going to make it songs. Mm-hmm. Where well, they literally so- sing, we're going to make it. That song from Laverne Shirley. Well, but they're like, it's our time. Like, they like really sing something like that. And and it seems like the most facile irony at that point. It's like, oh, great. Great. They, uh, We know that they're not going to... It's like they're all going to fall apart. I mean, that's what they're going for. I think that's what, part of the reason I think it would be stronger for just watching a story of people. Yeah. But anyway, as for movies, if the if the scenes were ordered differently, it's hard for me to tell. I mean, the thing about I, with The Village, I wonder if he was trying to go for suspense over surprise. Yeah, the old, the old Hitchcock. The old Hitchcock thing. If two men are talking and a bomb goes off, that's surprise. If two men are talking and you know there's a bomb ticking under the table, it's suspense. And it add, it means you're waiting for the moment when they when – you're you're like in your head. You're like, get out of there, get out of there. So maybe the the idea is that like you're wondering when. I mean, the, her walk through the forest being scary that is kind of deflated when you know there's no real monsters. Mm-hmm. Ah, real monsters. The class the classic Chupo classic cartoon uh-huh. uh, from the what third generation of Nicktoons. But uh, it being in the present, it does feel like you should learn that as a surprise. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah, I mean, usually I like all my information in a movie to be revealed by the director, like it happens in the movie The Village mm-hmm. by M. Night Shyamalan, or I don't know, uh, what's that the other the other one that I already mentioned? Signs, Signs? Yeah. yeah, where he's the one who tells the hero what the weakness of the aliens are. Oh man, what but, a... but it's like there's a so I don't know if you guys have read the Gorman Guest books. I know I got you them. No, I, the, I started. I haven't finished. It. I got you the first two, but in the beginning of the third one, Titus alone. He leaves Gormenghast, and a guy in a car drives up, and there's something so shocking about that moment because you've kind of assumed that this book series is taking place in a kind of medievalish world, yeah. and then suddenly a guy in a car drives up, and I think that's the kind of thing he should should be going for in something like The Village, but mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. To be but, honest, there's something that's more surprising about when the truck drives up at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and like that's not it. There's no surprise that that's taking place in the 1970s. You know, yeah. we actually talked about. When we talked about the Fantastic Beast movie, I think that this kind of applies there. There's all the stuff we were talking about where there are these various reveals about who is oh, who right. late in the movie and like 
why they're important to one another and the movie would have been so much stronger if it didn't save those as if they were like surprise reveals but just yeah. told a story about people and i know that there's like a good movie version of that i felt that before in things where I'm like what does it buy you to like to make this a, a twist to make this a twist rather than just like the greater drama of seeing people have interactions when you know like you all the cards are on the table well it's like yeah if if you know, it's this problem i have with a show like Westworld, mm-hmm. where it was like a character shows up and you're supposed to be like, who's this? What's this all about? But it's more intriguing to me if I'm like, oh, what's this character who I know about? What are they going to do? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of what I call mystery shows where you're wondering what's going on. I'm more of a fan of like shows where you're like, well, what's going to happen next? You know? And, yeah. and you're right. Yeah. In Fantastic Beasts, there's, it's like if you knew this guy wants to kill this character for revenge, then that's more dramatically strong when he shows up than if he's a mysterious figure where you don't know what he's doing. And at the end he says, I want revenge and I'm going to kill you. It's like, yeah. all right, okay. I find Get in the, line, dude. I find that those sorts of, <laughs> I find that those sorts of mystery shows when I'm watching them, like I really enjoy the pilot and then I stick with it for like two or three episodes at most. Cause, cause the, the additional episodes just kind of extend the pilot being yeah. like, we're going to, Delay this payoff for you, because once we pay it off, there's nothing more to our show. Yeah, it's a, it's just an excuse to go on the internet and speculate about what does this mean or what does that mean, and you're like, in a week, all my speculations will be naught but dust. Yeah, and I'll just find out that the character I named my daughter after has turned into a power mad dictator, burning people alive. That doesn't seem right. There's nothing in her family history that would imply madness. <laughs> All right, anyway, this next letter is from Steve, last name withheld. Steve Jobs. Who oh, writes, wow. <clears throat> Dear Peaches. From the grave. Yeah, you're using my technology wrong. Boo, I'm a ghost now. Hey, I just wrote one of Dan's tweets. <laughs> oh, man. Dan, Dan can't speak. He's laughing too hard. <laughs> dear, dear, dear Peaches, when I was 12 years old, my brother and I went to see a movie at our local multiplex. Okay. When the projector, <laughs> when the projector started... Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx started playing. Classic. My brother, myself, and I. Uh, you taking a note my on. My brother, myself, and I. He means his brother, his brother, and me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, were incensed. After several minutes of confusion, the projectionist finally put on the correct film. My brother and I could finally see the film we spent all our hard earned allowance money on Down Periscope. <laughs> 12 year old me had terrible taste. So I posit to you has there ever been an instance, be it as a child or an adult, were you agitated for watching one film over another and clearly made a terrible choice? I could have seen Jackie Chan improvise some wonderful creative fight scenes amongst the snow-capped mountains of New York, mm-hmm. but instead mm-hmm. I had to sit through 90 minutes of Kelsey Grammer on a submarine. Which, I mean, when you put it that way, it sounds pretty good, too. But, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not so not, sure about that, Dan. I think the movie down Periscope would, uh, would be I mean, if you could erase that movie from your mind, Eternal Sunshine style, and, just, I, and I just say, hey, there's a movie out there with Kelsey Grammer on a submarine, you might be like, yeah, okay. Nope, <laughs> don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's got the kind of talent to support a major uh, comedy. I think, Dan, there's two people who feel that way. You and the person who greenlit down Periscope. <laughs> Yours in perpetual floppitude, Steve, last name withheld. Mm-hmm. So do you have any answers for this? Uh... I, don't, I don't have any answers for particularly that, but I do. It does remind me of the time my brother and I went to go see Joe's apartment in the theaters. Oh, and yeah. the th- And the projector broke down 10 minutes in, and it was like the universe was saying, there are better things for you to do. Go outside. Yeah, I remember, I mean, it's more, yeah, it's so often that as a kid, I would get very excited about movies that were coming out and it would like consume me and I would think about it. I'd be so pumped and I could tell 
like people around me did not give a shit. Like I de- like I went and saw that movie Matinee with John Goodman, oh, and in my head movie, I'm like, though. but in my head I'm like, this is gonna change my fucking life, <laughs> really? and it clearly did not. I remember. Did it. I remember so well. Sorry, I didn't mean to What's the sliding doors of me not having seen <laughs> Matinee on opening night? You wouldn't be here today. You'd yeah. be a billionaire. I the I remember so well the first time I was told by my mom. I'm not going to take you to see that movie when Fern Gully came out. Wow. And I was like, can I go see Fern Gully? And she's like, I don't want to see that. And so I never saw it. And I was like, and it was before that, it was like, whatever dumb movie I want to see, my parents had to take me. It was the first time my mom would put her foot down and was like, we're not going to go see that. Yeah, it was, it was, that's actually kind of funny because I was just talking with some friends last night about how my wife, you know, uh, there's a lot of movies, like a movie like Beaches or something, that I, I never saw growing up. Mm-hmm. And I, I think back to the fact that, like, when I was a kid growing up, you know, it was me and my brother. And my my mom would always encourage me to watch, like, a ton of sci-fi movies or fantasy movies. And she, did, she didn't show a lot of, like, I don't know, like, dramas or, uh, like, relationship. Like musicals? Yeah, like, I didn't get a lot of that in my life. And it, it feel, in some ways it feels like I did not get a lot of, I don't know, like, feminine influence in my life in general. And we can talk about that on another podcast. But <laughs> No, it seems like we're making some good progress No, but it, uh, it, it, it just kind of... podcast? <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of so interesting to me. Where are you from? What'd your dad do? <laughs> uh, oh, my guys. Uh, so what was your beef with me at the comedy store? <laughs> that's true. I don't... Well, uh, I just, there's something about you, you know? <laughs> How long have you been sober for? Oh, <laughs> like a, a couple of hours? <laughs> uh, are you done? Yeah, probably. <laughs> the only things I can think of are, I've, I've said before on the podcast, I think that I really wanted to go to, I convinced my ex to go to Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Uh-huh, yep. Cause the, Explains a lot uh, why it's an X. <laughs> the ads looked so revolutionary at the time. The computer animation, like, that looks beautiful. And then I saw it and I was like, ugh. I never stopped apologizing. I think she, like, actually did not mind it as much as I felt bad for taking her there. But mm-hmm. also, when I was a very young kid, like, the treat was to see a movie. Like, my parents never went to the movies and did not take me to the movies. And so on my birthday, I always saw a movie. And I remember being like... This is not seeing a thing over another thing, so it doesn't quite apply, but I was like, oh, I love Bill Murray. No Bill Murray movie could disappoint, and we saw What About Bob, and I'm like, uh... What About Bob is not a bad movie. Yeah, I remember enjoying it. It has good things. I thought you were going to say, like, larger than life or something. It has good things in it, but, like, as a a young kid to watch it and be like, I don't want to see Bill Murray, like... Just like be irritating for a couple hours. Like I want him to be like the funny. Fun no, you guy. want him to be the suave, cool guy whose actions in real life would be incredibly assholeish, <laughs> but are charming in the in the form of a film. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, this last letter is from Nick. Last name with a <laughs> like. Yeah, let's let's think about all the movies where that Bill Murray is just charming and not kind of irritating. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, Nick. Last name with writes. Uh, hi, Floppers. I wanted to thank Dan for his recommendation of Encounters at the End of the World, a documentary about Antarctica. My father actually worked in Antarctica for six months as an electrical lineman right before the documentary was filmed. At the time, my parents had just gotten divorced, and I just had a kid's hazy memory of my dad working someplace far away. Aww. I now have two children of my own, and after watching the de- documentary, I felt a depth of new understanding for my father about the changes in his life and how that could have driven him to do something extreme like work in Antarctica. That's, oh, that's very straight. sweet. So for my question, have you ever had a similar experience of a movie helping you better understand someone? 
close to you. Thanks. Nick, last name withheld. I feel like I've had that a bunch of times, but I'm having trouble coming up with one off the top of my head. But there are definitely movies where I'll recognize someone that I knew in in life, and mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, okay. There's a, in, uh, in Synecdoche, New York, there's the woman played by, is it Emma Watson? No, Samantha Morton, right? Uh, and I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, I know this. Per- this reminded it reminded me of somebody that I knew." And mm-hmm. like, and I was like, "I know that exact person." And now I feel like I can see certain times that I interacted with her from in a way that makes me think differently about what I should have done and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, I also am struggling with a good example. Although this does remind me of the famous. I think I, I don't. I know it from Roger Ebert. I don't know whether he originated it, but he called movies empathy machines. Yeah, yeah. Where like it, it really allows you to sort of put yourself in another space where you understand a character. Like you have that distance from it, it not being real life, but you can sort of see yeah. how people. I, would, I mean, I would call. I would say he's half right. Not to not to argue with the brilliant and deceased Roger Ebert, mm-hmm. but movies are just as equally dehumanizing machines. Okay. Like it's much easier to make someone an enemy if you can show Rambo just like mowing them That's down. True. Yeah. So like I think he's I think depending on the movie, you know. And, I, 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 and I think also he's he's probably suggesting that the he's he's being optimistic about the potential of movies as opposed to Well that's his mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the thing Samuel Fuller I think it was once said where he's like, there are no anti war movies. Every movie about war glorifies war in some way. Yeah. And it's that's how I've, I always think about Full Metal Jacket, which is very clearly meant as an anti war film. Yeah. And yet it became such a like by the time I was a teenager, there were so many lines from it that were just like things that kids I know would say because they, they thought they were cool. Yeah, you know, all they yeah. could see from it was the coolness of certain things. Yeah, there's a there's a your your Wall Streets, your Fight Clubs, same sort of thing. Yeah, there's a there's a fantasy novel by Joe Abercrombie called The Heroes, which is very clearly like a like a harsh look anti-war story in a fantasy set in a fantasy battle, like mm-hmm. a five day battle. And there's the, it was just, he's a writer that I often like, but like it had such a disconnect because I'm like, you're, you, you're both glorifying and condemning the same thing at the same time. And it doesn't quite work for me. Yeah. Do you guys have any, do you guys make you think of any times where someone's helped you understand something? You know what? It's such a good question that I wish I was a better producer because I do (laughs) wish that I had gotten this question out to us earlier. And I'm sorry that we were, so we could really think about it because I think this is a really, Strong one. I know yeah. that's happened. I think there's a... I mean, the same thing happens with, with me in novels, too, where I'll, re- like, I'll see something that... It's similar with him and his father. Like, I'll, I'll read a story about someone whose life is similar to either my parents or grandparents, mm-hmm. and it will give me a, a greater sense of kind of the pressures they were under or the stresses they lived with or, you know, what, what made them the weirdos that I know them to be. Yeah. I do think, I mean, like, in a more gen- general way, like, growing up, in a very small town in the Midwest 40 years ago, you know, like I was born 40 years ago, like I was not around a lot of people who were out in any way with like alternate, like like different sexualities than my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that in sort of like that general sense, seeing movies where that was portrayed as just a normal, like, wonderful thing like as opposed to like dress to kill yes like (laughs) sort of i think before before such time as i 
new people who are out with different sexualities of my own. Like, I, I, I had built up through pop culture more empathy, I think. And, like, I think mm-hmm. that's true for a lot of, I'm, you know, as as dumb as the show is, like, people did, for instance, attribute a lot of progress to the fact that Will and Grace was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Like, even though that's a, a show where, like, the gay characters were basically not allowed to kiss anyone, but the fact that they were portrayed as these, yeah. like, kind normal humans you know rather yeah, than yeah, this, yeah. this monstrous other of some kind mm-hmm. um i don't know that's the best thing i can think of yeah that's a hard and a complicated question that i will have to put more thought into. i mean part of it is also admitting that like you didn't understand a person until you see saw this thing oh, yeah. there's like the shame of i 100 percent can agree that i don't like i've i've clearly gone through that a lot in my life <laughs> there, are, there are people who are very close to me who i love very much who i struggle with Reminding myself that I need to understand, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like that's yeah, just, yeah, I think yeah. that's just being human. <laughs> yeah. There's a scene in, I think it's the book. This is the way the world ends. It's a, it's definitely in a James Morrow book where someone asks him to write an epitaph for his mother and his father mm-hmm. as a way, and that becomes kind of like the epitaph for humanity because there's about to be a nuclear war. And I did that once as an exercise. I kind of like wrote what would be my what would be like my very short like two line eulogy of the people in my family be so I could kind of like and it, I was like oh I'm, it, like, it helped me really cut to the heart of them and like understand them a little bit more then you, then you folded it up and left it on their car seat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're like who left this here and I, I said it's, it, I, said, I said it's not a threat it's a promise <laughs> your days are numbered <laughs> uh, okay so well on that on characteristically sincere note we should move on to the final thing which is recommendations it's fart time it's the time we do our fart jokes that we like movies we liked recommendations hey guys I got one but I bet you got ones too so Uh who wants to go first uh, okay, I'll go. I'm not going to recommend Avengement again. I did that last time, but still check it out. I'm going to recommend uh, a movie that's on Netflix right now. It's a it, it, This is a break for me because this is a romantic comedy. Uh, it's kind of a hit, so it doesn't necessarily need my support. But if you haven't checked it out, I think you should check it out. It's a movie called Always Be My Maybe, starring Ali Wong and Randall Park. It's a story about two people who were very close growing up and their uh, like family lives are tied together and they end up growing apart and then seeing each other after uh, quite a distance and having their you know their lives progressing in their own ways and they reconnect and it's a romantic comedy so there's going to be some of those clichés but i feel like both those actors really they really embody their characters and they do a great job of making them seem like actual humans that are flawed and interesting um, it's also it's also a movie that's great because it features a lot of Asian American actors, and they don't fall into very specific small stereotypes. And it also features a great performance by one Keanu Reeves uh, <laughs> in, a, Keanu. in a star-making turn, <laughs> playing himself. So yeah, if you haven't checked it out and you're looking for a fun uh, romantic comedy, check it out on Netflix. Just drag it into your browser and hit play. I want to recommend, uh, keeping with my persona, a movie that I watched on the plane out to Portland, where we are. It's called Overlord, and it's about... Look, I, I don't know what... <laughs> you don't know what it's about? You're no, recommending I just, like, it. Like, I just don't know like what's considered spoilers these days. I mean, like... Well, if it's a, it's a J.J. Abrams-related like, movie, right? So everything's a spoiler. You're not supposed to know yeah. even the title Yeah, I mean, like, 
let's just say that like it's a horror war movie. It's a war. It's a war movie. a war movie. These uh, people, these uh, World War II soldiers are going to parachute into Nazi-occupied France. I thought you were going to call them World War II people. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> yeah. They're going to parachute into Nazi-occupied pants. Nazi-occupied pants, yes. France. <laughs> yep. They need to take out... Parachuting into a pair of pants that Hitler is wearing. <laughs> so they can take out his butt in a daring operation. They need to take out a tower that has guns to... Operation so, Underpants. <laughs> ...to make way for D-Day. And let's just say this: the Nazis are doing scientific experiments that have a horror tinge to them, and leave it at that. But um, it kind of reminds me a bit of The Descent in that the movie's pretty good at before like the horror elements enter the story, you're already like tense because yeah. there are these big, like only like four or five survivors behind enemy lines, and they could die at any time. And the movie is not scared of 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 showing you that. Yeah, and, it's uh, it's a great like midnight movie to me. Like it's kind yeah. of the perfect kind of midnight. Like it's fun, it's gross, it's tense, and it's got like the two the two leads, Kurt Russell's kid, and oh, that's uh, Kurt Russell's kid. Yeah, he's, he's really good. Yeah, he's great. And the uh, the the head Nazi P, uh, played by Pilo Asbeck, who mm. was uh, Bateau in uh, the Ghost in the Shell movie, and a couple other things. He's he's great in it too. I will. Uh, what's interesting to me about it is like it's got this like plot, this like Nazi evil Nazi science experiments plot that is like pure B-movie pulp. But what makes it work in a weird way is the movie plays that very straight, which is not to say it doesn't have any like sense of humor at all. It's not boring, but it plays it pretty straight. And yeah. I looked up the um, the writer and the guy who wrote it, Billy Ray, also wrote Captain Phillips and and uh, Shattered Glass, among other things. I mean, he oh, also... the movie we talked about today. He, yeah. al- he also wrote some less successful stuff, like Color of Night, but we'll not talk about that. I just, I think that he brings... Oh, wow. Hey, I'm just glad... It's any- all tied back to uh, Glass. Anytime I find out that a new movie is written by someone who's been working longer than I have, it makes me so glad. I'm like, oh, okay, I shouldn't feel... I can't feel jealous of him, because he's older than me. He yeah. should be writing movies. Yeah. I'm just saying, he, he brings, uh, you know, more seriousness of purpose than you'd think to this, like... Sort of sleazy little horror. When you think when he's used to writing serious movies about Bruce Willis's penis. Yes, Uh exactly. Anyway, (laughs) moving on to Elliot. Speaking of Bruce Willis's penis, uh, I'm going to recommend a movie that I I feel like everybody's been kind of talking about it, and Mm -hmm. it's an old. It's a little bit of an older movie, but it's been. I mean, everybody's kind of familiar with it. It's called Broadway Melody of 1936, (laughs) and. To be honest, I was—I had never seen any of the Broadway Melody series. This was a bunch of musicals that MGM made in the 30s going into 1940. And I voted it on a lark, as I often do off TCM, the world's greatest television channel. Uh-huh. Because it has no TV shows, only movies. Your DTT, down to TiVo. And it stars Jack Benny and Eleanor Powell and a bunch of other people in a movie where the plot is so silly and ridiculous that it's kind of not worth going into. It's like one of these movies that the plot is just like total ludicrousness there's like a, there's a like an imaginary french dancer that someone impersonates in order to get back at an old flame who's producing a broadway yeah. show total ludicrousness was the temporary title for too fast too furious because it <laughs> featured chris ludicrous bridges in it mm-hmm. and but it's such a like fun movie and it's super fun i found it it's the kind of this there's a character who keeps popping up who is he is a performer who just imitates different types of snores and i found him hilarious but uh like Jack Benny's real good in it. I would I was never really familiar with Eleanor Powell's work because her career kind of got cut off early, but she's really charming in it and beautiful and an amazing dancer. Buddy Ebsen and his sister Vilma Ebsen are in it, and I know as many 
people my age or slightly older know Buddy Ebsen mainly as Jed Clampett mm-hmm. and as the guy who didn't get to be in The Wizard of Oz. And he's really great in this, and his dance numbers are really... He, like, dances with this kind of, like, coolness that I wouldn't have expected from him. And anyway, it's just like, if you want to watch the most gossamer thin kind of like a bubble of a movie broadway melody of 1936 which was somehow nominated for best picture and like i liked it a lot but it is this is like plot wise it is a an insubstantial movie i'd recommend it it's just super fun and the movie the music in it comes it's a lot of the it's from the the unit that all the music for singing in the rain came from so like you'll recognize if you know singing in the rain you'll recognize a bunch of the songs and like it's interesting to see songs that are given like a couple seconds in singing in the rain in that montage of talkie movies to hear the whole thing and there's a lot of good tap dancing in it so Broadway Melody of 1936 if you mm-hmm. like tap dancing see the movie okay okay well guys we gotta save up the rest of our energy oh yeah we gotta tonight. do another show okay mm-hmm it's gonna be so fun I can't wait to talk about what movie are we talking about tonight. <laughs> Holmes and Watson. Oh, so look God for that in your oh, podcast shit. feed. I don't know. Like, <laughs> oh, God. Dan, look for that five talk, years from now. Why did we waste glass on the episode? <laughs> we, we're going to have to find something to talk about about Holmes and Watson for our live audience. We could have just talked about glass in front of the live audience. Instead, we're talking about I Holmes mean, and we'll Watson. Probably end up talking about glass a little bit. Yeah, because um, there's nothing to talk about. Oh, jeez, Louise. Yeah, so uh, we're part of the Max Fun Podcast Network. Go over to maximumfun.org. Check out a bunch of other great shows. Yeah, and come uh, check out our website to look at those upcoming uh live show uh, go to uh wherever you listen to your podcast itunes or pod switcher or uh, uh-huh. uh audio bib and bop whatever you listen mm-hmm. to the bean and, machine the bean machine yeah the, and the <laughs> green ears uh, yeah uh and just leave a Odd good pods <laughs> uh there there is a podcast industry newsletter called hot pod i think right. yeah so uh and leave us a well, we go to those places and please leave us a five-star review or whatever number of stars is the most stars tweet about us instagram about us tell your friends tell your grandma hire a skywriter and put it over a major city philadelphia maybe mm-hmm. the buildings aren't that tall so they'll be able to see all that skywriting uh and thank you for listening to the flop house we appreciate it okay so for this show which is the flop house the flop house i don't know the flop house take it over again <laughs> the flop house i've been dan mccoy uh, i've been Stuart wellington and i will still be elliot kalen no matter how hard i try bye shorty's gonna have to get low just yeah put on your apple bottom jeans your boots, boots with, with the, the fur, fur. ready you know the whole club's looking at her <laughs> she's gonna okay. hit the floor Made a rah, rah, rah. I don't know the line that comes after that. Mm-hmm. And then the, she gets low. Next low, thing low, you know, now, Shorty got low, low, Now, low, low, to low. me, Shorty means child. So I was always like, who let that kid in the club? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's Muggsy Bogues. Doesn't <laughs> get shorter than him. That's, <laughs> yeah.